Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Money Talk Radio. This is your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ProServe Public Relations, a business development public relations service and consulting firm serving law and finance professionals. We bring you new and pragmatic content on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock with Law Talk Radio and on Thursdays with the Money Talk Radio program also at 4 o'clock Central. Today's show, titled Volatile Third Quarter Markets with Dan Keegan, uh, he's a Chicago-based options trading instructor and renowned expert, Dan Keegan. He's our guest today to talk about the financial market volatility we've experienced since July of this year. Dan is the options instructor and head options mentor at the Chicago School of Trading. Dan Keegan started out in the options business in 1978 and worked his way up in the Chicago tradition. Dan spent five years as a runner, phone clerk, and floor broker for A.G. Becker on the floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange. In 1984, Dan, with the backing of legendary trader and adventurer Steve Frossett, began more than a 20-year career as an independent market maker on the floor of the SIBO. Uh, Dan earned a Bachelor in Science degree from economics in, in, in economics from Marquette University College of Business Administration in Milwaukee. A website with more information on the Chicago School of Trading is uh, www.thechicagoschooloftrading.com. We do want to welcome callers today. If you have any questions, comments, of course, our shows are neutral and objective and uh, intended to be educational as well as informational. Telephone number 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. Again, 917-889-9732. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on our show does not constitute professional advice. Communication with attorneys and finance professionals on our shows does not give rise to attorney and client or other finance and client professional relationships. ProServe Public Relations does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests, and finally, all callers may remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved. We want to let you know about a couple uh, an upcoming uh, events generally in our show, and we'll pause for our events at the quarter hour. Uh, we can certainly uh, engage in programming and promoting events for you. We advertise on this show as well as through several of our communication channels. Please send us a message through the contact page on our website, which is proservepr.com. Again, www.proservepr.com. As for subject matter, again, for today's show, Financial market volatility in the third quarter of 2011 is causing a stir among finance professionals. And today we're talking about recent financial market volatility. Dan is going to talk to us about a few securities um, and the outlook for the remainder of 2011 with options trades. As the founder and current president of the Chicago Floor Traders Alumni Association, Dan's advice is valuable to individuals and firms trading equities. And we'll ask Dan if traders are profiting from the recent price volatility. We also uh, want to talk to Dan a little bit about the Chicago School of Trading and the options course that Dan created, along with his role with the Chicago Trading's uh, options mentors and students. So uh, without further ado, we welcome Dan Keegan. Happy to be with you today and uh, look forward to talking about the markets. It's been, uh, since late July, it's been a pretty wild market. Uh, it causes some people to distress, but uh, options traders, it just causes exhilaration for them. So, Tell us why. Uh, because anytime there's movement, it gives an opportunity for the leverage you get from options to come into play. So, and it's, uh, in other words, if you're just a long only stock trader, I could see where you'd be getting severe heartburn because one day it's up, next day it's way down. But if you have an options position, that's exactly what you want. For instance, uh, you could buy, 
for calls are the it gives you the ability to buy a stock at a certain level, puts gives you the right to short a stock at a certain level. So at a very uh simple um level you could just uh buy both call and a put, which I would never recommend. You want it to be too much time bill, you'd be gobbling up. But uh in other words you could buy five dollars a piece for each one, the stock's at a hundred and it makes a twenty point move. You you could liquidate that position, put on another straddle at that level, it jumps up, and you just go back and forth. And also the actual cost of the premiums that you have to pay for these options, the price level for it shrinks and expands constantly too. So you're not only taking advantage of the price movements in the stocks, but the um, premium level for the options. And the premium level for the options is directly correlated to how much volatility there is. So. So there's uh, many different ways to skin a cat if you're an options trader. So. Now, for those, you know, what's something I, I wanted to ask you about, um, something I saw in the news recently, and I, I don't necessarily expect you to have uh, in, intelligence on this, but I saw something on Bloomberg. I saw an article that was talking about uh, compensation uh, for traders and different things, and some of the uh, some proposed legislation to change uh, different compensation structures for, I believe it was for the uh, salary-based uh, traders. Is that something that uh, you've seen as well? You know, I haven't um, because, you know, I've been kind of an independent trader myself and the people I train are kind of independent as well. I think that refers to the big desks at Morgan Stanley and Goldman mm -hmm. Sachs and like that. Yeah. Um, it, the compensation salary people, I think, for maybe some of the top executives, uh, they were, it kind of, or the bonuses, it kind of was out of whack in terms of, it gave an incentive to just take risk, or to just take risk so they could get the reward. So the risk was kind of a minor factor. The reward was the big thing. But I don't mm -hmm. I don't know if you can legislate it and pinpoint how to do it. Usually when you do that, you make it much worse than before and kind of freeze things as well. So going to be an interesting it's going to be interesting would you predict now we've had a wild what do you think are some of the factors um that have been operating in the background why we have such uh swings in volatility right now well i think obviously it's the, the european situation you know that uh you know if greece falls and maybe ireland falls and then portugal and then spain and then who knows after that maybe italy and then you know then france and germany and then the whole world you know so it's uh it, it kind of reminds me now like when they say well we've taken care of it you know Germany's going to prop up this bank going to prop up Greece all's better in the world it's kind of like uh 2007 when the Bear Stearns fiasco took place and you know the Fed injected some liquidity and everybody thought okay well that's that's a just a short term problem it's okay and then a year later you know the all hell broke loose so yeah so Go ahead. I was, just, go, I was going to ask you what about the uh, the election and everything here. How much how much speculative uh, activity do we really see from uh, different current events? Uh, you know, we also have you know, so many things are going on. We've got the the Occupy Wall Street movements, the things that are, talk about Rome. People are blowing cars up over there. Um, how much is this really is this really having a significant effect? Well, I think the Occupy Wall Street, you know. A lot of the characters there might not be taken totally seriously, but it, they're kind of a 
the way you can take them seriously is kind of precursor of what could be happening in the U.S. in two or three years is kind of what's happening over in Europe now where the public sector versus private sector is going to be a big clash. And if that isn't resolved, I mean, obviously, if if the Fed, if we keep floating bonds and 80% of them are purchased by the Fed by them printing money, that's not a good long-term scenario. So I think that's kind of makes everyone jittery. And the fact that uh, there just hasn't really been any growth lately, no velocity of money. So it's just kind of like there's no good macroeconomic news, but it seems like the earnings, every earnings cycle, things are doing well. And, the you know, the PE is less than half of what it was 10 years ago when it was admittedly very, you know, overbought and ballooned. But, it, you know, now it's kind of depressed. So I'm, obviously PE, they're waiting for the E part of the PE to uh, – to decline, or that's what they have in mind, or they have a fear of that. So, you know, I mean, at some point there could be a huge rally if this macroeconomic overhang was uh, wiped out. But uh, when that happens, I don't know. You know, that's the that's the thing. So I think you, you just want to be make sure you're properly hedged at all times. So if, if there was another wipeout like there was in 2009, you know, maybe you could, your portfolio could stay even or maybe, you know, lose 5% or gain 5% versus losing 40%. So. Right, right. And so as far as, um, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, well, why don't you lead us? What are some things that you'd like to share with us uh, during this hour? Okay. Well, I just, uh, talking about volatility, he, each stock has its own volatility. For instance, uh, Microsoft, which just reported earnings, that would kind of be, even though it's a cutting-edge computer company or was a one-time kind of like a utility now. Um, the X27 calls, which expire, X27 call and put, the amount of time value for both of them combined, which is is the leverage you, which is what you pay for the leverage you get, was only 80 cents. And uh, that might even have been too much because uh, I think Microsoft was off 20, 19 cents after the close when they reported earnings. So that's a stock that seems to be priced where it should be, and it's going to be like that, you know, until it stops being like that. I think, uh, I think IBM was like from uh, middle of July, middle of 2009 to late 2010 was like stuck at that 130, just that flat line, and now it's moving all over the place. So you never know when a stock is going to break out of its range, and and in pertaining to that, if it is flatlining for a long time, then the options you can buy become very inexpensive because people expect it not to move. Therefore, why would you pay extra time value for something that's not going to move anyways? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, what? so like the IBM, which people, you know, the, the uh, volatility in that stock was nothing for, like I said, for about 15 months. So if you wanted to buy at the money calls and puts, it was like nothing for it. And, and now the, uh, the implied volatility, which is kind of the price level for um, options, exploded since that point. So, but uh, yeah. What are some other tech stocks? We hear a lot about tech stocks lately. Um, what are some other performers that you think are, are, are noteworthy for our traders out there? I think uh, the Chinese Google. Have you ever heard of Baidu before? Yeah. That's a stock that just moves around like crazy. And the um, 
Let me see. So I was looking at them before. What what exactly does Baidu do? Again, they are uh, internet and search uh, based. Exactly. Yeah. And the day after Google was more or less kicked out of China, I mean they're still there, but they're very restricted. And they, they, and Google said we're not going to allow us to be censored, etc. Um, I think Baidu was trading at 350. The next day it was up 50 bucks, and then it's basically gone up to 1200 or $1,500 because it did a 10 for 1 split. It's almost at half the price where it was before it split 10 to 1. So that's a stock that just moves around constantly, is very liquid. I mean, if you're interested in trading options in a stock, you, um, the bid ask on the options is relatively tight, you know, so that if your entry and exit points, you won't be suffering a lot of slippage in terms of you buy it at one price, then you have to, when you turn around to sell it, it's a radically, you know. In other words, if something's an eight cent bid ask versus a fifty cent bid ask, when you're getting in and out of the market, you're not going to get clobbered. So, what are some other uh, some of the other tech stocks that you think are noteworthy? Well, of course, Apple, which had its earnings recently, is uh, is a huge trader. And I would think Apple's all over the place right now. Oh yeah, well it had its earnings a couple of days ago, and it was at I believe 4.25 when that took place, and it, uh, it's now below 400. So, and that's uh, and but fairly recently, just a couple months ago, it was like in the 370s. So, you can kind of see the advantage of trading options. For for instance, uh, 3.95 calls is 14.50 is what you'd pay for one call, which is uh, you know, fourteen hundred and fifty dollars. You'd have to pay for one call for the three for um, the three ninety five calls, which is roughly at the money. But if it makes that jump up to um, four twenty again, you've made ten dollars. You've made um, ten dollars on that on your uh, fourteen fifty purchase. Whereas if you bought the stock, the percentage gain you'd make would be much smaller. So you can really you can see how you can leverage yourself, and you could even do it more so with the 395 calls. You pay a 1450, you could sell the the 410s at 770, and you've cut in half, more than half your purchase price. So you buy one at one level. In other words, if it goes above 395, it's in the money. You would exercise it and own the stock, and if you sell. The um, 410 calls. That means if it goes above 410, you would have to surrender the stock. So you'd be buying the stock and surrendering it at the same time. But it would be a $15 spread that would, uh, where you paid uh, less than uh, seven bucks for to mm. get it. So you'd more than double your money for a move like that. So. Do you think that things that are happening right now are going to – well, you know what? I'm not going to ask you for Outlook yet. I'm going to go to uh, – I'm going to take a break right now and uh, tell our listeners about an upcoming event, and then we're going to be right back. Uh event I want to tell you about it comes on October 27th. Uh, this is aimed at um, basically a general audience. The title is Critical Financial Estate 
planning and asset protection planning decisions to make in 2011. The event is sponsored by Today's Chicago Woman and the Metropolitan Club of Chicago. Again, event taking place on October 27th from 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Panelists who are going to present are, number one, Micheline Gordon, who is an attorney and of counsel to Anthony J. Madonia and Associates in Chicago. Uh, she's an attorney and estate planner who's been working with businesses and individuals and their families to protect and preserve and transfer wealth for over 25 years. Also, we have Susan Templeton, who's the founder and managing partner of Stafford Wells Advisors, a Chicago wealth advisory firm who works with families and individuals in planning and investing for the future. Third, we have Henry Silverman, Ph.D., Roosevelt University faculty and assistant professor in finance, teaching courses in mutual fund investment, financial markets and institutions, international financial analysis, and investment theory. To register, you may contact uh, Micheline Gordon at 312-626-2916, again, 312-626-2916, or also by email at rsvptcw at madonia.com, which is M-A-D-O-N-I-A, again, rsvptcw at madonia.com. Again, the event is titled Critical Financial Estate Planning and Asset Protection Planning Decisions to make in 2011. And also, I suppose in 2012, they will likely talk about as well. Um, we want to let you know again that if you want to make sense of uh, public relations and marketing but don't want to hire a third-party firm to outsource the work, you can do so much of the work on your own. ProServe can certainly help you with our variety of consulting workshops and custom marketing and public relations systems we build around your current workflow and business style. Please visit ProServePR.com or send us a message uh, through the contact page to get more information and uh, we'll help you get started. Also, uh, back to our Money Talk Radio broadcast, we want to remind people that if you do have a guest suggestion or question for one of our guests or any thoughts, you can drop us a note on our Facebook page. Simply search in Facebook for Money Talk Radio. Now, back to our show with Dan Keegan. Um, Dan, with the volatility that we've seen in a lot of the tech stocks, and I'm also interested in um, some other uh, good movers, what can some of our traders expect? And you know, I always ask one of my, um, you know, I have some friends who are traders, and you know, sometimes people tell me there's nothing happening and things are going south. You know, other times I hear other things from other people. Um, you know, how much of how much hysteria is out there? Do we see volatility continuing? Are people making money? Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't think volatility is going to continue at this level forever, obviously, because it's mm -hmm. just historically high. But like I said earlier, it's remained stubborn, stubbornly high. I think in March in March 2010, when the first Greek debt crisis hit, the VIX, which is the volatility index, which measures the premium levels on uh, Standard & Poor's index options. So that truly, in other words, people use options as insurance. You know, when, when their portfolio looks like it's going to head south, they're going to run to grab puts because these puts will insure against uh, further loss. For instance, uh, a Baidu uh, November um, 115 puts. They're trading for $6.10, and Baidu is trading at 120, 124 about. Okay? So if Baidu were to go down to $80, you would make about $30 on the options as you lost um, – as you lost 43 on the stock, so that so when things start to get jittery, people grab for the options, not you know as some form of protection, and uh, so 
that's why we're, we're still very nervous, and that's what happened in you know in May of 2010. And the VIX, which measures the level of this fear, and the and the eagerness to grab this insurance, went from 15 to about 30, and within about three weeks' time, it was back under 20. And uh, this time, you know, I think the VIX was in a similar position in late July. It blew up. It actually got as high as 48, and everybody thought, well, it's going to come down. Well, it has, but it hasn't really come down. I think. A few days ago, it was below 30, but it is back up around 35 right now. So will it go down at some point? Definitely, because it's, it's much more mean reverting than the price of a stock, the volatility that's in options. Um, but uh, so far, it hasn't. So at some point, yes. I know it's not giving a definitive answer. It will yeah. go down from where it is now. Yeah. When that will happen, I can't tell you. If I yeah. if I could see into the future, I'd be a trillionaire. <laughs> I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who are here and will remain to be here, um, what? How much of you know? How much of the volatility, knowledge, and uh, insight is necessary for? Um, I don't know for different people. You know, at, at what level are are different traders? more or less interested, I suppose, I don't know if that's if I'm framing the question right, I suppose who needs to really pay attention to this? Who needs to know? Who needs to care? Um, anybody who has uh, something above a uh, checking account needs to care. I mean, if you have any type of portfolio, you need to care. So, in other words, if you're working you know, hard at a job and you're raising, you're collecting this money, and you save up and you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in your portfolio and then half of it gets wiped out and you could have prevented it if you were diligent then whose fault is that you know so my answer is everybody and yeah. it's it's uh and right now most mainstream money management firms don't um use the proper hedging techniques that will take care of that so talk a little bit more about that yeah um in other words uh, most firms still are, most brokerage firms and money managers are still long only. And over the last 11 years, that's been a flat line, the profitability. But let's say you um, had something like, you had an overall portfolio where long of some mainstream stocks, and you were able to buy um, some, you were able to either buy VIX calls, which is you can VIX, if you go to Yahoo Finance or if you go to any options trading platform, you could look at that. And you could actually buy, you could use volatility as an asset class to counteract. In other words, the VIX, which measures the premium levels and options on the Standard & Poor's Index, is has a greater than 80% negative correlation with the S&P. So because of that, you are able to hedge your portfolio by using the VIX is just one instance. And as a form of insurance, and the higher the level the S&P is, the cheaper, you know, ironically, the cheaper the insurance is. So in other words, because premium levels are low when everybody thinks the world is fine, you can gobble up insurance at a cheap price at that time. You know, once the horse is out of the barn, then the price price of insurance. In other words, it would be like if you lived on the coast of Carolina and there hadn't been a hurricane in 10 years and people got so, you know, lax about it, they thought, well, what do we even need this insurance for? 
people stop buying it, the price of it goes down, and then the smart people go and buy that insurance for their homes on the coast, and then all of a sudden there's warnings of a hurricane's coming. Well, what do you think that's going to do to the price of insurance? It's going to go up, right? So there, so there are things you can actually do, you can learn to do, that uh, will provide a good hedge against your portfolio. But you, and that's one thing you should ask your money managers and brokerage firms: What are you doing for me in terms of uh, things might be okay now? What are you doing for me in case there's another 2009? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or <laughs> you know, or things blow up and um, we have uh, riots in the streets as opposed to some of the peaceful uh, protests and things. But yeah, you know, one thing that uh, that I can tell you that seems certain to me is. Yeah, you know, just just from you know my, I'm not a finance guy by trade, but when I watch this because I have finance clients and we're helping with PR, you know, I'm watching what's going on with different markets and and where things are going, and uh, you know, every time I think that. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a couple of weeks ago, um, but I remember thinking that the Asian markets were going to have reacted stronger, um, and they didn't. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Things that seem to make sense to me um, are, 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 you know, things are just not happening the way that I'm anticipating. Um, so, I don't know. What do you think that fourth quarter will continue? To, I know you don't have a definitive answer. No, you can't predict that. But um, <laughs> well, I think when would we see that what you said about out, the yeah. Asian markets not behaving the way they should? Um, that's one of the things as a trader you should, or an investor, trader slash investor, whatever you are. If things are out of what the norm is, is that going to be the new norm, or is that something you can take advantage of? You know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. okay, that's not happening. Well, then why don't you know Asia is not going? To go. Well, then why don't I buy some Asian ETF and sell some the SPX against that? So you know, something like that, or buy buy calls. You know, buy a call spread on the Asian ETF and sell a call spread on the um, SPX, the American one. If there is, that's what you always want to be looking for. Something that's out of line. It's just you know, every investor should also be an actuary. You know, where you're just figuring, you know, figuring out probabilities. It doesn't mean that you can't do your day job. You know, you can still do that, but just be aware of the risk that's inherent because it's like I said, if you if you dedicate your life to accumulating this wealth and then you turn it over to somebody who may or may not be prepared for it, you should you should have a good knowledge of what they need to know. You know, even if they're going to be the ones executing for you, you want to know, be able to talk intelligently with them and say, like, okay, this is what I need. Should I, you know, throw in a managed futures fund in my portfolio, something along those lines, mm. just to smooth out the volatility? Because there's a million different things you can do. Well, how much, you know, uh, what should, uh, what should, you know, um, if you're if you're an inv- if you're representing uh, clients and you're investing on their behalf, um, as opposed to some of the you know different traders we have out there, what how much should you how much information should you really uh, give people? You know what as far as you know um, you know we don't want to scare people into oblivion, um, yet we want to let them know that you know you just talk about providing a good hedge, um, for example. Um, you know what should our, our our money managers, our money movement people who are representing clients, um, how much should they tell them? What types of things um, would you suggest? 
I think they should tell. I mean, I think they should be very honest with them. And say, yeah, this is what I think it should be long. It's diversified, but even a diversified portfolio, if all hell breaks loose, is going to plummet. You know, no matter what happens. You know, it's, and like I said, we saw it in 2009 where just everything fell. You know, you could have your this percent in bonds, this percent in this, this percent in that, and just you know everything collapsed. So you have to ask. You know, if you're you say here's what we could do, it might have a slightly negative effect on your return for this year. But if you do this over a ten year period of time, look at what the difference would be. Yeah, you know that that's kind of what you what I think uh, somebody who's managing somebody's money should do. But more important, what the man, money manager should do, what the person who's the actual investor who's turning it over to someone. You should be able to intelligently ask them, what are you doing for me in case of a disaster? Or is there another way other than just being long these stocks you can bump up my returns? Yeah. You know, this uh, is a nice kind of transition point. Um, when With the Chicago School of Trading and the different education and things you do with mentors, I suppose this is uh, something that um, – that you talk about and, and teach people, um, you know, client relations. I know uh, from my industry coming out of law, um, it's you know, law is like selling a car. Sometimes you have, if you have an adverse decision or something that client's not going to like, you have about uh, thirty seconds to spin it in the best possible way, so right. you don't have someone screaming. Uh, right. you know, before you freak out, like here are you know, here's the good, here's the ugly, here's the bad. Um, you know, is, so uh, um, you know, I want to talk. We're going to take a break uh, and uh, have a resource message, and we're going to come back. And I want to ask you a little bit more about the Chicago School of Trading. I want to hear about um, everything that's going on and and what uh, what's out there. You know, we assume that people who might uh, have the opportunity to listen to this program may be well experienced traders. It may be someone who is uh, looking to make a change and um, you know get into trading. Uh, so we have people from all over the all over the spectrum, so uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But first, we're going to pause and listen to a resource message from our friends at Market Gauge. Market Gauge applies insider knowledge gained from years of professional trading experience on and off the floor. Running money for major New York hedge funds and currently managing a hedge fund, Market Gauge's master traders created the powerful proprietary web-based software tools, a hot scans, Big View, the Nuggets List, and the ETF Monitor. These subscription-based tools have been built for thousands of individual traders as well as institutional clients such as Reuters, Barron's Online, Fidelity, uh, and Intershow and Townsend Analytics. Uh, MarketGauge specializes in technical analysis tools and stock tips as well as trader education and swing trading, day trading, and the opening range. Michelle Mitch Schneider is the Director of Trading and Education and Research for MarketGauge. She provides in-depth uh, trader training as well as uh, the market analyst writer and host of Misha's Market Minute, uh, contributing to several online trading publications, as well as a series of trading strategy articles called Taking Stock. Uh, Mish serves as the regular contributor to Market Gauge's free newsletter. So marketgauge.com for all of your trader education and information. So now back to our show, we have uh, Dan Keegan here. And Dan, the Chicago School of Trading uh, is similar to Market Gauge. Um, you know, there are uh, they're a proprietary um, subscription-based server uh, service for people. But you're, uh, I want to hear more about education and the Chicago School of Trading. Yeah, well, the way we have it set up, um, everything is strictly one-on-one, -on -one, which is – it really explodes the rate at which you can learn something when you're going directly one-on-one. -on -one. It's, you know, tutoring and mentoring 
versus classroom instruction. I mean, for instance, the first session we have, frequently the student will ask uh same question nine times, and they go, oh, okay, I got it now. You know, we're in the classroom maybe once or twice you might do that, but probably not nine times. And every session we have is recorded. So, and they all go back and listen to the recording, and they go, oh, you know, they might forget something two days forward to listen to the recording. They learn that, plus they pick up a lot of things they didn't get the first time around. Mm-hmm. And then I just give them exercises to do to build it. It's all a matter of building up muscle memory so that you start out at ground zero and you build up to, you know, by the end of the six months, you're at an expert level. And if and we also, so we have people who know nothing about options, don't know what a put from a call is, to people who have been trading options for a couple of years and they're just not quite getting it, you know. it's just, They're just not making the money and they need somebody to help them to put it together for them so that they can get to the next level. Okay, so what level of uh, education do most of the uh, attendees are? Are they are they MBA level, or are they uh, just to have a um, you know a bachelor's in um, in finance? What, what are most of the people? It's anywhere. Well, people who have no background in finance at all to people who are you know I've taught people who are MIT you know you know mathematicians. So they're you know their IQ is probably about student two standard deviations north of what mine is, but they didn't know how to put it together because our whole function, our whole system is applying it, showing how you can make money with it instead of the theory. We do the theoretical, but other than the theoretical, we show you how, how to make the theoretical work. In other words, we teach you how to be airline pilots. We don't teach you how to make the airplane. So, and and that's how we do it. And, and it's uh, all walks of life, but it, like, as you mentioned before, that we do have a lot of career changes. For instance, uh, the mortgage industry is kind of headed south of late, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of these mortgage brokers that are coming on board, and they're kind of—it's kind of a natural for them because they're used to working with numbers. They're kind of playing the market with the bond market, so they feel comfortable with it, and they've done very well. But there's also people that are English majors, and there's people that uh, have no major at all, never went to college. You know, and it's a matter—it's—it's it's a step-by-step approach. Some people learn quicker than others, but you know. Since it's one-on-one, that's how you can, you know, ramp people up on an orderly basis. And you so. said most of the courses are. Um, you talked about six months. Um, is that the length, or do you have longer programs? No, it's basically when the in the six months is the average. In other words, since it is one-on-one, it's worked out between the mentor and the student as to when they meet. Mm-hmm. So it could be once a week. It could be once every two weeks, or you know, maybe they're meeting every two weeks, and then it's their you know budgeting season for the firm and the guy's the controller or something so he's got to put it off for three weeks that's all as long as they're um consistent in keeping up with what the learning thing is just because you want it to be a step-by-step approach it's not the type thing where you could cram it in in one week you have to go through several expiration cycles to see how the premium levels at the ebb and flow of the premium levels and how different positions you can put on so that when you look at an options trading platform after six months, it's instinctive to you. You're not you're not mechanically thinking, well, if I do that and do this, you know. So then, if you did have some big portfolio, you'd know how to react quickly and stem the stem the flow. You know, you know, stop the bloodletting. I guess that's the way to put it. <laughs> you know what you're telling me sounds really great for people who have taken advantage, but also really scary for those who might. Um, not know what they're doing. I, how uh, how many people out there 
just don't know. Um, mean who trade options? Yeah. Probably about 95%. And then within six months' time, they burn through their money. And the, the, the common problem for most retail option traders is they use, since call is the right to buy a stock, they think, well, if I just buy this call and the stock goes up, I'll make money. Or I think the stock's going to go down, so I'll just buy this put. Well, the, you know what? You buy the put, the stock goes down. You buy the call, the stock goes up. You still don't make any money. You wonder why. It's because of what I said earlier. You're buying an item that has time value in it, and if it doesn't get to that level within a certain amount of time, you're going to get burned. The time value will eat you up. So you have to learn how to use one option against another against another. Once you have the original position, how to adjust it after that by doing other things. And it, it seems complicated, and it is at the beginning, but by the time you're done, it's a, it's natural because it all kind of fits. It's kind of like all fits together, you know. But before it all fits together, you, you know, kind of be grinding your gears but once it fits together then it makes sense doesn't mean you're going to every decision you make is going to be a winner obviously or we'd be back to the uh, trillionaire scenario but uh yeah but it is it's a great risk control it's great for taking not and i keep emphasizing you know what happens in a disaster thing but it's also a great methodology for if a if a stock is making a big move up like apple went from like 70 to over 400 or Baidu went from you know uh from 35 to 120 or something like that. So, you know, stocks can quadruple their money and you can make a lot more than if you were just stayed long in the stock. There's, you know, there's a, that's the the great thing about options is like stocks and futures it's a binary function. It goes up or it goes down. But options there's a million different um things that go into it million exit doors and entrance doors that you can can have and once you become familiar with them it's you know you can recognize them and use it to your advantage hmm. so. um you know and also uh, you know going back to the volatility we were talking about before uh it's got to make this a, a really pragmatic opportunity to teach people risk control and different things with options. Um, what's your experience been with, um, you know, different periods of, of volatility? Do you think it's a better learning tool? Oh, yeah, I think right now it can. I mean, I, I know it's – that's the great thing is if you could have started uh, learning in, like, uh, May and then uh, finish up in November, you would have uh, had a perfect scenario because you would have seen really – no volatility to really big volatility and then it dropping and you know so um yeah it's a great time to learn for mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. um and tell us a little bit about uh what your activity has been at marquette um uh, my alma mater as well of course i was a i was communications journalism pr over there i wasn't at david strauss hall for finance but um a lot of my friends were and uh as i understand you had um have had a lot of activity uh, there at marquette Yes, uh -huh. yeah, David Krause, a friend of mine, he's in uh, charge of the Applied Investment Management Program for Marquette students. And I go up there occasionally and just, uh, you know, one-day lecture for him. And, uh, and Dr. George Kuttner, who teaches actually a derivatives class, and he's a brilliant mathematician, but sometimes the students like to have, you know, like I said, the applied, how do you apply this brilliant mathematics? And, you know, so they like hearing how practical strategies can be used to apply the the theory behind it so but uh yeah it's uh they're 
I think uh, more and more students, more and more people in the financial world are going to be educated in terms of how to use options and how to dampen volatility in your portfolio. So that's uh, yeah, it's 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 fun to go up there because they're really uh, anxious to learn about all that. I wonder. You know what? I'm just pulling this this up. I had um, as an alumni, I get these notices of some of the things that are going on, and one of um, there's okay. This is coming up on October 21st. And no, that's the registration date. It's a Marquette Circles Roundtable event in Chicago that's going to be Wednesday, November 2nd uh, at Union League Club. And one of the things that I'm going to is identifying opportunities in volatile markets. Um, it looks like we have uh, Thomas, I'm wondering if you know these people. We have Thomas, D I G E N A N is his name, uh, U.S. Equities Strategist, US, UBS Global Asset Management, and David Krauss. Uh, director of Applied Investment Management Program at Marquette. Um, do you know? The, I'm just curious if you know these individuals. I do know David well. Yes, the other gentleman I don't know, and I, I plan on being there. So oh, that should okay. be an interesting roundtable. Well, so. the other thing that's going to be interesting there, yeah, there's going to be a lot of. That's a good roundtable. Um, there are also a lot of other things in the world of of um, PR and communications, and um, you know, social media and all, all these different things too. Uh, so it should be a, a, a good event. Um, as far as the Chicago School of Trading, any other uh, any other information that you wanted to share with us as far as the school's history, uh, where it's going, or uh, what, again, I know that you said that they're pl- applying the mathematics uh, certainly, and all the pragmatic education is so uh, so very important. Um, how long? And how, I'm just curious how long the school's been there, um, and are you know where the where the school has been, um, how long it's been there, and where you're going in the future. Um, it's been there since uh, um, July of 2008, so it was right started right when the economy was falling apart. So, uh-huh. um, so the students got to see a lot of different things going on, and uh, so it's been about close to three and a half years we've been open now, and it's been we just teach people how to trade options. We're also going to be rolling out a course in futures trading, and some other courses in uh, you know specific um, things like crack spreads and different things like that. That, uh, but for right now, we just have our options training course, and it's. Uh, I think it's more. Comp- First of all, it's one-on-one, and it'll take you to a level of a professional, an experienced professional trader. I think when you when a lot of people are shopping for education things, they'll get these things where they're treated differently. You're a retail trader. Well, we can't burden you with this other stuff. Well. The options market doesn't know whether you're a retail trader or a professional trader. It's it's not kinder to you because you're a retail trader. So I think it's behooves you to know as much as you can and to be at the level and and with six months time that should be, you know, I think anybody should be able to reserve time for that. So Yeah. Yeah. But um. uh you know, and getting started in two thousand <laughs> I, I suppose, um, you know, not, not a question you could probably answer, but um having you know, how much did you see the future um, when you this when well when this was getting going and when you had your uh, active role in it or was it something that um, had been in the plans for a long time and uh, the timing just ended up being um, you know really perfect? Yeah, I think it just uh, we kind of uh, about it was about nine months in the offing before we actually rolled it out and uh, yeah and the timing was yeah, unfortunately timing probably would have been better if it was. If the collapse happened 
a year after that, you know, so then, you know, I could have preached it and people would be like, oh, okay, maybe I could do that. And they'd see how it worked. They'd be like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't, we didn't anticipate that happening. I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal is the only one who, you know, once a month they'd always have an editorial talking about Fannie and Freddie and it's going to blow up at some point. Like for mm-hmm. seven years they kept saying that. And I just kept, I wouldn't even read those, you know, editorial. I usually read it, but I do. But you know, it's like the boy crying wolf again. Well, it, eventually it did happen. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and so many people I saw, um, you know, selling off and partitioning their their holdings and different things. Um, you know, people just with regular portfolios were shifting to. Um, you know, well, I don't rem- I don't know what it was. You know, forty percent bonds and you know sixty percent securities or different things. And you know, I talk. I remember talking to people who were making some of these moves. And I don't know in in um, in retrospect if they were they were good or not. But I one thing that I could tell you from my layperson's perspective um, to the world of finance is that things that we thought were uh, steadfast rules and there you know things that we could expect were were just not the case anymore. And I don't think that, I mean, it doesn't seem that we're going to be going back to, um, to a lot of stability. You know what? I don't think there ever has been. I think you can lull, be lulled into thinking there is stability, but, uh, you know, markets are based on human action and reaction. Yeah. And, and as long as humans are around, they're, they're going to get, there's going to be bubbles. There's going to be bubbles that burst. There's going to be times when the market's exhausted and nothing happens. So there's because uh, I know in 2005 and 2006 the VIX was between nine and twelve and there was just no action and options at all and um, people were saying the financial engineers have found a way to take volatility out of the marketplace and that was kind of conventional wisdom on a lot of people's part that you know we we've got these geniuses who found a way that there's not going to be any more volatility in the marketplace the market's just going to go up slowly bit by bit every day and it did that for a couple of years but uh, obviously you know like i say it's 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 human being unless we have robots running the financial world and who programs the robots but humans so yeah it's, you know so i don't know if it's that different now than it was ever you know it's it's there's always been you know, big plummets and big rises in stock market. You know, so but and every other market there is too. I mean, going back to Holland with a tulip bulb craze. You know, the where they went to sell tulips and all of a sudden nobody went to buy them anymore. Whoever had the fastest horse to the next town that didn't know that the crash was coming, they were able to unload their tulips. You know, well, so now now yep. just, the communication's a lot quicker. So. It is. I mean, we we look at the world of um, <laughs> of Facebook and and Twitter, and people say, oh, you know, I don't know how much this impacts other things, but you know, look at today. Um, all this, you know, I found out about um, Qaddafi is is no longer. Boom, you know, that happened. Um, you know, and <laughs> what now? What's going to happen? How is that going to impact different things? I mean, our, our news and everything travels so fast um, that you know, when people talk about sell offs and and um, you know, runs on banks. Uh, you know, it, it's the hysteria, the hysteria that can be out there. It just gets perpetual so much quicker. Uh, we're going to pause quickly and uh, let our audience know about our uh, last event message. And then, Dan, I want to ask you about a little bit more about some tech stocks and um, 
some uh, securities that you wanted to talk about, uh, you know, towards the end. Um, our last event message, we want to let you know that our friend Carlo Licata is a financial advisor over at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. Carlo is our point man on a series of upcoming radio shows uh, and educational events and training webinars. As we watch the market roller coasters, we need to be uh, have some trusted friends in finance to address specific trade groups uh, and share information about new products, services, and methods in unlocking capital and making sophisticated moves without risking the farm. Uh, for a schedule of industry-specific events, please be in touch with me, Nick Augustine, by using the contact portal on our website, which is proservepr.com. Uh, I can tell you that um, you know one of the things that we're going to be talking about with Carlo is uh, for example, um, in high net worth fina- uh, financial matters and divorce, uh, buying and selling and weighing, uh, ways to unlock uh, some of your uh, investments without, um, again, without uh, risking anything uh, too bad with calls and, and whatnot. So um, Carlo Locata will be bringing you more uh, about that in the future. So back finishing with Dan. Dan, uh, tech stocks are, are so interesting to me. And uh, some uh, documentary I recently, recently saw um, – was called the singularity and the whole concept of as man and machine um you know move closer to kind of a blurred line and you know all this everything with um the health industry you know i'm wondering um health and technology you know we look at this concept of the nanobots um you know these tiny cellular sized um, robots that could you know go into our bodies and attack cancer cells and this um, it makes me think about insurance and uh, the insurance industry and a few things for the future. Uh, what are some of the things that you think are going to be hot to watch? It was like that. Remember that Raquel Welch movie 40 years ago where they shrunk and went into the president's body to repair things. Now they're actually kind yeah, of doing right. that. <laughs> right. But, uh, no, 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 that, that, that could never happen. That'll never happen. You know, and uh, as a good, uh, you know, uh, a good Irish Catholic Jesuit from Arcata, I'd say, oh, no, well, that's a whole other story to talk about that. But, um, you, you know, these things are the exponential rate of technology is going so quickly. Software um, software that we had, you know, 10 minutes ago is, is dead now. Yeah, they're actually developing live organisms, too, that are kind of going to act as software. That's the wildest thing, I think. That you know, their programming actually, you know, I don't know what it. I, I'm not a biologist, but they actually are using live organisms. To, so there's going to be an integration between that and you know. So you're right; it is in the future. But uh, like when you said the health thing, though, where they're going to be robots diagnosing. I don't think that'll work until robots can tell whether you're a liar or not. You know, whereas a human physician probably could. So. Uh, there'll still be room for people until, um, you know, computers can figure out who's lying and who's being sarcastic. And right now they can't. Well, so. that will also take care of all the, uh, you know, some people have talked about that could take care of the legal industry too um, and get rid of the, the need for lawyers because the comp- they could just be completely rationally based and, um, you know, computers and software could apply all these things. And I suppose that would also relate to the uh, to the trading uh, trading world and, and, and um, you know, Things in finance. What sort of technologies? Um, you know, looking back at the Chicago School of Trading, um, are there technologies that you're using now that weren't there before that are making the lives um, of people in finance uh, their days easier? Well, I think, uh, for, particularly for retail traders, like as professional traders, we had a lot of this information, mm-hmm. but it was too costly for the retail people to, you know, it would, you know, maybe cost five thousand dollars a month for us. 
but it mm-hmm. would be worth it to us if that's where our living was, you know, based upon. Now the typical retail trader can get it for free because of the competition amongst the brokerage firms for their business. I mean, it's it's never been a better time to be a retail options trader because of the technology and because they're able to get things to, you know, relay all this information quicker. I, I remember when I was first a market maker, I would be, um, you know, you'd be taking down a huge options trade. you need to hedge it with stock, and it'd be three minutes before you knew whether or not you sold your 20,000 shares of stock. So that'd be pretty intense, you know, three minutes. Then it got to the point where you could just uh, have a handheld in your hand and you just the stock would be instantaneous. So... And it's uh, so that's just you know in terms of the technology it's just made an amazing difference, particularly for retail options trading. I mean, 30 years ago you really had to just guess the direction and hope you're right in order to make money trading options. But now you can you're on a fairly level playing field with the professionals. So. Yeah. So you know, and so what at the Chicago School of Trading then? Um, you know, are you seeing people who are um, a little bit more senior in their career uh, coming in because uh, they're looking for more of a competitive advantage. Um, yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, it's that that's part of it, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some other uh, uh, stocks? Uh, you know, tech industry certainly. Uh, we were talking about. Um, uh, what are some other industries that you think are noteworthy that we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I think pharmaceutical is always a a good one. I mean, it's... Uh, we always need our drugs. We always need our drugs, and those are kind of like, you know, earnings plays for options traders where the volatility builds up right before the earnings date and then it plummets afterwards. When there's when you're trading a, a stock with a pharmaceutical announcement, it's like earnings reports on steroids because it's just, uh, it you know, it can mean life or death for a stock. So, therefore... It means that people really want to get the options because they can get in cheaper than they could for the stock. Also, they can buy a put or buy a call, and they'll just lose whatever the premium is. Whereas, if, you know, if a stock's at 52 and it opens up at 12 the next day, they're wiped out if they try to buy or buy the stock. So, so I think pharmaceutical one, uh, Dendrion, was a stock that uh, was a real hot stock to trade. It's now. Um, a dead stock, pretty much, because uh, it just uh, let me see where did, where was it earlier this year? Yeah, it was as high as um, it's, yeah, it was about forty five, and in one day it went down to eleven bucks, and it's now trading at nine, and it's kind of staying there, you know, because the FDA the test they ran on their main drug flopped. You know the the placebo did just as well. So if you really want if you really want to roll the dice, I'd say pharmaceuticals. Otherwise, if you just want to do a lot of uh, regular trading. Even a stock like Google, if you use the option, like Google's a you know almost a six hundred dollar stock. So if you bought a hundred shares, that would be you know you'd have to come up with sixty thousand dollars. But if you put together an options um, spread you could do it for, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So hmm. where you would take advantage of, you know, you buy two of one option, sell three of another, buy one of another. You could package it so, you know, it would cost you only a few thousand dollars. And if it made an upward move, you could turn it into like a $20,000 profit, 
you know, a best case scenario. And if you're moving the pieces around, you can even reduce the cost of what you originally paid for if you're diligent in that. So there's uh, so e- even the high price stocks, if you learn how to use the options, probably you can re- reduce your cost basis for entering into speculating on them. So so that's that's the positive part of using options where you can do something to you know make money and then I mentioned the scary part earlier where you can use them to just prevent catastrophe. So well we always like to prevent catastrophe. That's always a good thing to do. Exactly. But it's also a good thing to have good things going where you can make your portfolio grow when it's not catastrophic times. Make it grow more than it otherwise would have. So I, uh, my my last question for you: What are some of the what is some of the feedback that you've had from people who've gone through uh, through the programs, and uh, what are they doing now? Are they coming back? Are they going to come back for more? Um, you know, like a refresher down the road. Um, for our curious. program, you mean? Yeah. Well, actually, actually, what we do after you're done with the individual mentoring sessions, you're part of a weekly group session in perpetuity. Oh, good. So, and it's a different day each week because we've got, you know, we've got the Europeans. We've got to be nice to them and have one early Saturday morning because, you know, it's 11 o'clock when the trading day is over for them. They're ready to hit the sack, so they're not necessarily in the mood for a after-hour session during the weekday. Um, but, yeah, like Tuesday through Friday, we'll have it rotated each day after the close and then an early Saturday morning so that hopefully – you know, some people don't miss one of them. Others, because they're scheduled, will make it, you know, once every, you know, three weeks or something like that. But it's available to them. We also have a, you know, student chat room for uh, current students and graduates so that they're not alone when they're trading. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. it's very good because I can imagine the stress has got to be, uh, you know, even with the advances in technology making life easier on the day-to-day. Um, I know my friends who are traders are pretty stressed out, so it's good to have. It helps to have not a, to be alone, and it helps to be uh, – there's a lot of humor, too, that goes back and forth, you know, gallows humor some of the time, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it helps. If you're on an island and it's, you know, you're throwing stuff around, it's, it's – uh, it's it's always nice to have support from other people. Exactly, so. exactly. I want to thank you so much for your time today and being on our program and telling us about um, your thoughts on so many things with options in the Chicago School of Trading. What's some good uh, uh, contact information if someone wants to get a hold of you? Okay. Um, you could reach us at uh, the company at 312-242-8700. That's 312-242. 242 1858, or you can email me at dan at the Chicago School of Trading.com. And when you go to the Chicago School of I, I would suggest you look under resources and then click on students. And then we just, students that have gone through the program, just uh, have some comments about what they think about what how the program works. And All right. uh, it's not just saying, hey, it's a great program, they go into the specifics and Specifics and show how it actually has benefited them. So, and also if you if you you can even call me on my cell at three one two eight eight two one 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 six. That's three one two eight eight two one 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 six. All right, Dan Keegan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, love to do it some other time. So.
So. All right, great. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. I'll see you at that Marquette event coming up. Um, and uh, thank you again for your time. I'd also like to thank all of our loyal listeners for tuning in to this episode of Money Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Money Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our finance industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With guest listeners, guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Money Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time.